Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route, to the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Thursday, anyway. <laughs> and usually Monday through Friday. Today's Thursday. Never mind me. It's just one of those days. What we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. It is Thursday. Well, we do it Monday. Sorry about that. What are you doing, Diane? I'm trying to share this <laughs> on my Facebook page. I realized oh. last time I did it, and I have to share. Diane Sullivan is back. It's Thursday. Okay. Don't don't foster this this Boston mania stuff with her. Jenny Swaggart on a Thursday, every Thursday. Yes, sir. How'd you do in getting somebody from Urban America to join us this week, Jenny? Well, I I kind of bummed out two times <laughs> this week. Wait a minute. We have but, Diane Sullivan on, and you say you bummed out. You should no. say, we won the lottery. We, we got well, Diane back. And we did because this is an opportunity. Last week when we were talking with Margie, you brought up, Diane, in the comments about food, going to farmer's markets and trying to use WIC and SNAP. Right. And that is something that has stuck with me all week long and started, I started researching and it's a little, um, I don't know. It's hard if you're a farmer and you want to take yeah. Wick or snap at a farmer's market, it's hard to get that opportunity. And there's only six, I believe six markets in the state of Illinois that accept it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as challenging for farmers to access SNAP recipients um, as it is for SNAP recipients to access farmers, right? Um, right. You know, I had a very interesting conversation. Um, shout out to Trent, your uh, listener and watcher, Stacey Bowman. Um, and as a follow-up to, um, we were, I think we were just in actually the comments section of one of your shows last mm-hmm. week and we connected on Monday and and again, just a reminder um, of exactly what you're doing here, Trent and, and Jenny, is really connecting urban and rural America. And Stacy and I, to, we just had a Zoom call. We were like, hey, you know, obviously there are some things that um, we share some interest in common. And it was particularly around this issue of how do we, you know, the, the SNAP program right now, right, is pumping out like billions of dollars a month that is, you know, and it's it's doing great work, of course getting food into people's, um, into their homes, um, but it's supporting retailers and businesses. It's really a driver to the economy. And I'd really love to see more farmers be able to directly access um, this really big pool of money that's out there um, without perhaps having to have all the, you know, air quotes, middlemen um, in the middle, um, jacking up the cost of our food. Um, while, you know, that it, it, again, my lens through my anti-hunger work, when we increase the cost of food, that really devalues the purchasing power of the SNAP dollar. And it puts families, you know, in, in others, individuals in really difficult situations when, you know, I've said this long before the coronavirus hit, um, families, individuals are literally making the decision between, do I feed my family? Do I pay my rent? And so, you know, we really have to get at the cost of food. And and I understand we have the most abundant, the most efficient food system in the world. And I'm so grateful for that. And affordable. And affordable. Absolutely. Um, but it's still not attainable um, for everyone. People are still struggling, you know, robbing from Peter to pay Paul to make it, yeah. you know, to make their 
um, their dollars stretch and it's becoming increasingly difficult um, as the cost of food right before us um, continues to rise. But I'm not going to let you get away with that the SNAP benefits promote the economy. It's not new money. It's taking money from the left hand and putting in the right hand and thinking that we have an economy. Well, no, it's putting it's money that was sitting otherwise elsewhere into the economy. And there are studies that show, and I don't want to misquote the amount, but I believe for every dollar in every dollar spent in SNAP, there's about a dollar seventy return for the economy. Now, I'm not an economist, so I don't know, you know, the nuances that go into that study that that demonstrate that. Yeah, I'd um, like to see that one. Yeah, and I'm happy to share that information because that is well documented. You know, again, if I'm here, let's let's just use some simple math. If I receive an extra three hundred dollars in support for my food budget, I'm spending that on food. I otherwise might just have three hundred dollars less to work with. Um, and what are the end results of that? My children go hungry, and the the fallouts from that, um, the impact on their education and their well being. Um, but then it's also, again, and particularly in times of unprecedented economic crisis, the SNAP program puts money into local economies. But let me give you some numbers here real quick. Mm-hmm. I, I, this is not matching what we think is happening. According to USDA, 16,000, almost 17,000 farmers received, were recipients of SNAP dollars which is very hard for me to believe. 3,312 Well, Can you qualify what you just said? Receive SNAP dollars from payment of farm products? Well, here's the other. No, no, no. They receive. See, here's the other thing. When you are a farmer's market SNAP recipient or WIC recipient, uh-huh. you're the farmer, you right. are given a coupon. You aren't using your card, your link card or whatever your state designates the name. You are being handed a coupon. And I'm still not sure how that is translated into dollars for the farmer because it goes state by state. And the guide that USDA provides Mm -hmm. goes to page not found. Nice. Well, I can tell you, Jenny, how it works here at my local farmer's market. Um, although, unfortunately, we do not have any farmers that participate in the HIP program, which is essentially if I go and spend um, a certain amount of SNAP dollars at the farmer's market on certain, you know, we're talking about fresh fruits and vegetables because I can go into my farmer's market and find the best pasta, um, the best bagels, you know, like all of that stuff is there, too. But to incentivize healthy food purchasing and really it's it's a subsidy for farmers, right, because it brings um SNAP recipients into the farmer's market who otherwise might not be, we're incentivized to be there, right? Because they double, first of all, when you walk in, I can take my EBT card and swipe it. Um, They have, you know, a little table that's set up. So they take the money off of my uh, SNAP balance. And then they do give me, it's like, you know, kind of like Monopoly money, right? Um, And then I can use that to go and shop. And it's the same kind of plastic money that if somebody wants to go and use a debit card, you know, some some farmers may have that little handheld device where they can swipe the card. But alternatively, you can go to that same table, um, swipe your card and receive these farm bucks or, you know, whatever it is that they call it. And then I go and I use those and I literally shop with that. Um, and, you know, if, if I'm paying nine dollars for something and I have ten dollars in these farm bucks, the, the farmer may give me a dollar and change in the farm bucks if they have it or they may just give me a dollar back in cash. 
And then I assume, and I don't know this, but I assume at the end of the farmer's market, they then take those uh, plastic, you know, plastic money to the farm market coordinators and then exchange that somehow for cash. Now, how that looks, I don't know. Um, but that's how sort of sort of how it works. Um, and again, there are a lot of incentives um, or, well, I'll say there's a couple of incentives that really work for families and for farmers. Um, and one is the HIP program, the healthy incentive program that I mentioned um, that will basically reimburse uh, when you spend HIP dollars uh, or at a with a vendor that accepts HIP dollars. And and I've heard, too, from farmers that it's complicated, right, to get through and to become a vendor um, and, to, you know, and to have a handheld device. But I know that farmers um, have some farmers have them here in Massachusetts. I'd love to see those devices in the hands of farmers so that even if it were me, um, ideally, I would love to be able to say shop from Trent, right, and be able to use my SNAP benefits online with all the securities and protections that we need, because I know that that's another complicated layer. But why shouldn't I be able to spend my SNAP dollars with the farmers that I choose to connect with? And if I have the opportunity, if I want to buy a quarter of a cow and I, I can arrange for that to be shipped and I have the storage capacity, you know, we have to look at food and how we, particularly low-income um, individuals, communities, families, prepare for another pandemic. Because I'll tell you, we had, we had the foundation ripped right out from underneath us, particularly around food and the amount of anxiety that that caused and the uncertainty still that exists around food. Um, and, and the concern about, are we going to go back into lockdown and, um, and, and are we going to see the shortages on our, our grocery store shelves again? Because honestly, that was like a really traumatic time. Again, for people who were so disassociated and detached from agriculture and not understanding the shifts that, that needed to take place. Uh, but we saw the results Still of it need to take place. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So what did we uh, learn? I'll tell you what I've learned is my clock says we have to go to a break. And um, I've been really good at just being an open-minded listener. And I'm not going to be an open-minded listener when we come back. I'm going to weigh in because I think Brian's on to something. Before we go, I want to remind you about a beef supply. Certified Piedmontese creating the opportunity for farmers and ranchers to capture more of the consumer's food dollar, just like we're talking about right here. <laughs> I want to uh, encourage you to go to LoneCreekCattleCode.com, find Marlon, Will, and ask him what exactly is involved in becoming a certified Piedmontese supply entity. You do the same thing. You use the Piedmontese cattle, which possess the myostatin gene, which means it takes less pressure to chew it. That's what's really important. How tender is it? Details at LoneCreekCattleCode.com. We'll be back with segment two on a Thursday after this. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trent Luce alongside Jenny Swigert on a Thursday. Every Thursday, we bring someone from Urban America today, our favorite Urban American, Diane Sullivan, Medford, <laughs> Massachusetts. <laughs> okay, so first of all, I want to say that we do go to farmer's markets and sell pork at the farmer's markets that we produce here. All right, but with that said, I really am struggling with the whole SNAP benefit a project spending money at the farmer's market. Here's why. Farmer's markets are overpriced for what they are. 
70% of the food sold, this is according to USDA, 70% of all food sold in farmers markets come through normal distribution channels. They put a guy in a bib overall, send him out on the, on the pavement to make it pretend that they came from a local farm when in fact it came through the same supply entities that the rest of the food came from. 30% are like us, but I don't see why you, and it's overpriced compared to it's the same food that you can go in the store and buy. And yet you're, you're trying to be a, a, a snap wise consumer, Diane, by spending too much money with tax dollars. You should be finding a way to get off of snap, not how to get more with your snap at the farmer's market. But you can't yeah. be a participant in the farmer's market nutrition program. If produce is grown by someone else, they will not authorize it. So I think maybe there's a lack of policing going on. I'm not saying that policing, extra policing is the, is the best you know, resolution, but according to the USDA, if it is grown by someone else, you cannot receive benefits. Snap benefits. Is that what you're Correct. saying? Yeah. It's well, see, it's another program. It's called the Farmers Market Nutrition Program. Yeah. Which why quite frankly is why I think <clears throat> that we don't have widespread use of SNAP programs and benefits at farmers markets because the food that's sold there doesn't qualify. And, and Trent, I would absolutely agree. And I, I only need to look to my local farmer's market. And I know that's not representative of every farmer's market, particularly when you consider we import 90% of the food that we consume from other states, right? Um, and that's a clear indicator. And we do have, we, I think we have about 7,000 um, farms in Massachusetts. Uh, we do have rural parts of the state. Um, but it's, you know, I think, and, and I don't frequent the farmer's market often. And when I do, I do it to support farmers. And again, the incentive is there for me to do that. I can walk in, double my bucks. And if there is a hip provider there, I can then gain the incentive of spending my money with them and then recouping that back in SNAP benefits. So again, I, I look at, you know, this access. And, and when I say I want farmers to have more access, I don't necessarily need that to be in a farmer's market setting. I'm saying, how do we open up the market so that I can shop from a farmer in another state? Because, right. you know, first of all, and I do want to um, acknowledge what Brian said, um, you know, sort of how we spend our SNAP dollars, right? From my perspective, um, you know, from an urban setting in Massachusetts, so far removed from agriculture, there is so much education that could happen. And we've talked about this at a lot, Trent, almost ad nauseum, right? Mm -hmm. What what triggers in a mom's mind when she's shopping and she sees a more expensive, you know, I, I my tweet, you know, from a couple of years ago on Twitter, uh, rain rainbow bell peppers, right? And you and you you look at the two differences, and you're looking at labels. One's more expensive, and you say, oh well, this one's it says non-GMO, so it must be better for me and my family. We've got so much food shaming going on that, again, because people are looking in my cart when I'm shopping, right? And and want to tell me and dictate how, well, how about we, we back off for a second and understand all of the pressures that people were under around our food and all of the misinformation that we have been fed, uh, pun intended, around our food. And so how do we then break down these barriers where Trent, you and I talk about this a lot. And, and, you know, again, and you, I know you, you think that the SNAP program shouldn't exist. Like you think subsidy programs shouldn't exist. 
across the board. But in, including the $14 billion that farmers are signing up for this week. It's absolutely mm-hmm. asinine. Right. And I can appreciate that and that, that that's your opinion and how you feel about that. But the fact mm-hmm. of the matter is these programs exist and people are utilizing. So how do we then connect? Um, I Again, I am so passionate about building relationships between agriculture and low-income consumers because Despite everything that divides us, there is so much more that aligns us because I feel trying and not not to insult anybody, um, the wonderful people I've had the opportunity to come into contact with and through my connections from you and Protect the Harvest, uh, wonderful people in agriculture that I've met. Um, I, I get a little concerned sometimes. Sometimes the things that I hear that I don't necessarily respond to because I'm looking to build relationships and I can't, I can call you out Trent because we have that relationship. We've established that you, I consider you my friend Mm -hmm. that I never imagined that I would have. And somebody that I can trust that when I give you pushback or or likewise, we can take that and still be able to come together and focus on that goal. Maybe we're a little special because we We are special. There's special classes for us in school. (laughs) <laughs> and we connected right when we first met Absolutely. because we had something specific in common and we've around that. And and I do think that, yes, there are challenges to this, but there are really opportunities, but we all have to be open-minded Trent. Um, and that's required of the works that you cannot be closed-minded and think that you're going to effectively bridge the gap between urban and rural America. Right. It, it's, it, it yeah, kind of goes against, what what your objective is. Um, and I do think you're open-minded. Um, I just think you're opinionated. And aren't we all? Um, maybe you're you're more open-minded, I think, than perhaps you're giving yourself credit. But at the end of the day, we, even though we don't agree on a lot of stuff, we still try to find a way to come together on those differences, which the reason that we continue to do that is that so many people in the country today have lost that desire, let alone the ability. Well, I mean, no wonder. Look at the climate and and the rhetoric and the, you know, and again, because people don't have relationships, right? Right. So they don't have anything else to fall back on other than what they're seeing on social media, mainstream media, and, and, you know, and particularly now can't get out of their bubbles, even if they wanted to, right? Right. Okay. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I don't know the exact quote, but it's along the lines of, it's okay to disagree, but don't be disagreeable. So keep the communication and the atmosphere knowing you can come back and you can agree to disagree. Yeah, I think that's that's spot on. So seeking solutions. The solution, (laughs) Diane, is not to find a better way for SNAP benefits. It's to find a a better way of getting people where they don't need them. Absolutely. I agree 100%. And what does or, that or think they need them? Well, need them. You know, again, sort of the idea that, and I've invited you, Trent, to come out to Massachusetts um, when I have found myself in times of need and I'm going to apply for these SNAP benefits for you to come with me and actually, even though you could never experience it, because, you know, when I'm applying for any sort of assistance, um, it, it's nobody wants to ask for help. You know, everybody wants to be paid a living wage, right? If you're able to work, people want to work. 
um, you, you know, the, again, the misnomer that, oh, people, now that they're getting paid more in unemployment, now they're not going to want to go back to work. And I don't doubt that that doesn't exist somewhere. Um, but I'm looking around me saying, you know, the I was on unemployment for a month, you know, and I'm, I'm back to work when, when I could be back to work. And that's what happened. You know, my basic, all of my children are working right now, young adults who are in school, working, doing right. Exactly what I, what I've expected of them and trained them to do. Um, but we live in a very high cost state where housing is ridiculously expensive. Uh, our food and Trent, I know what you're going to tell me, just move. Um, but it's just not that easy. Um, and you know, it's just, I just feel like, just like I've had the opportunity to go and actually meet with farmers and ranchers, right? Because I've done, um, you know, I've, I've done in like survey groups and I've asked urban, you know, moms, what, what comes to mind when you hear the word farmer, mm-hmm. right? Let's mm-hmm. just, let me just ask. Um, and, you know, and, and of course, some of the things that we would think about and associate, you know, provider, nutrition, um, hillbilly, you know, and it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Like when you hear that, it's like, okay, when I went to the Midwest and my many travels and down South and meeting farmers and ranchers, like hillbilly never came to mind. Right. But it's just something that exists in the mind. It is is the stigma. I have to do this roll route. We are already halfway through Jenny Swagger, Diane Sullivan joining us today on a Thursday connecting rural and urban America. Neogen.com is connecting something else, connecting the genetics of your breeding animals to the consumer demands or possibly a way to identify a genomic that may help your animal avoid certain diseases. That's the future of food production, not only in animal agriculture, but in all of food production, looking at the genomics and seeing how we can produce more with less. Shine a light on your genomic future by going to neogen.com. I hope you caught that special report yesterday with Tyler Braden from King Ranch. Jenny, he has pastures of 30,000 acres. I took a fast horse. Neogen.com. We'll be back in the second half of the rollout after this. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trent Loose alongside. It's a Thursday. That means that Jenny is here. Where are you where's that going, Jenny? I had no no ulterior motive. Where'd you think that was going? Right. <laughs> you had no alternative motive to get me on here every Thursday. Um oh, just education. Before we go on the horse riding adventure, I <laughs> want to talk. <laughs> okay, you want to talk, talk what? real quick about the cost of going to the farmer's market and everything, you know, transportation, the amount of money that goes into getting yourself there, the money that you have to pay to the association or whoever the organizer is that has organized that farmer's market. And then, you know, the cost that goes into producing whatever that food is and what you actually make. And then I'm assuming, but I can't find it anywhere through USDA or through our state's Department of Ag. I'm assuming you have to pay to apply to be a SNAP recipient. So what I'm wondering is around here, 
I mean, we when the kids were little, we tried to sell produce at farmers markets just as a little business for them, and then mm-hmm. they had an egg business as well. It wasn't making. I mean, it wasn't worth it. It was worth the experience and to get the kids out to talk with people, but we were not making a profit off of going to those things. I don't understand how, and I know I've never been to an urban farmers market, but I'm just questioning how is it people make money? Are they really making money? Are the numbers being fluffed? I mean, I mean, you know, Jenny, I've seen, and this was a couple of years ago now, but when you can sell, you know, a half pint of raspberries for eight dollars, um, oh, you're goodness. likely making money. You know, if a farmers mm. markets. In here in Massachusetts, to me, farmers markets, it's like a niche market. It's where, you know, suburban moms like to go and shop and, you know, support the local farmers that, you know, we used to have somebody selling beef from Vermont. Um, You know, so I don't think that it was necessarily designed. Now, if you go into Boston, um, their farmers markets, you know, maybe look a little bit different, more affordable. Um but, you know, that takes the energy and, and outside money, right, to sort of settle it. Because I've also been to farmer's markets where I've gone to use my SNAP card and was basically told, you know, we don't want you people here. Um, so it really runs the gamut. And uh, I, I, actually, Diane, to interrupt on purpose, mm-hmm. I think you just nailed it. Uh, the suburba, suburbia mom likes to go there because it's the cool, trendy thing to do to go to the farmer's market. They feel like they're achieving some elite status in buying food. They don't want to see a SNAP benefit recipient next to them buying their quiche, whatever yeah, and, you buy you know, at a farmer's market. That's, it's, it's all about an image. Yeah. And you know what? I also don't want to diminish... Um, you know, the experience of the farmer's markets for some, and, and particularly like here in our senior community, our farmer's market is located um, in, in relatively walking distance of a senior development. Mm-hmm. That's an opportunity for them to come out of the house. Um, sometimes there's live music. So, you know, it is more of an experience, but but it's really about the experience, right? Not necessarily. Yeah, it's not about the nutrition at all. Yeah. So it, cause you know, I think it, there's a sense, oh, it's, far, it's farmer's market. It's more fresh. It's more nutritious. Like let's get away from that. Like let's keep that real. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I, Cause I 100% agree with Jenny as a participant in the farmer's market. It's frequent that Kelly would head down to the farmer's market at 8 AM and we go to Kearney, Nebraska for the most part. She'll come home at two. How'd you do? Well, I sold $60 worth of pork. You do the math on that. You want to talk about a, a fair living wage just in the marketing aspect of that time spent. And that's a typical week. It doesn't work. All you're doing is trying to create leads as somebody that wants right. to develop the relationship and not show up and sit here for eight hours in, in a given day. That's really all you're doing. Yeah. And it's again, different than us share showing our cattle because that's our marketing piece. That's where we can introduce and show the breeding that we're right. able to do. And, but there's, there's hardly any money to be made to actually do that. So it's the marketing piece. It's, it's an expense rather than something you're trying to make money at. By the way, Exarban Stock Show this weekend, I plan to see you, Jenny Schwagert in Grand Island, Nebraska. Um, (laughs) I don't know that I can. I don't think, yeah, yeah, I don't think. I'm relearning the grains market, the grain segment of agriculture. Oh. Working at a grain elevator this fall, which has been real exciting. Have fun with that. 
<laughs> it is. No. Why do people <laughs> people keep saying that? So I have a okay. So Ed brought up a great point that I didn't even include in that. His son has taken over the honey business. The hobby insurance cost, holy moly, $700 a year. Right. Just for the insurance. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I guess I am. It takes a little I, bit of honey to pay $700. It takes a lot of honey. A lot of honey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm questioning, I'm questioning all of these programs. For instance, well, the, the word that, market. No, the word that. $18.5 million. What's $18.5 million? That is the amount of money that is appropriate or appropriated for the farmer's market nutrition program. That, that That's nothing in the scope of 330 million people. But it's a lot of money that could be going well, to other... 18 million or billion? Million. It's still yeah. a lot of money that could be used in a different manner. Well, I'll tell you what, if, if Ed, if his son were to send his honey out here and sell it at a farmer's market, you remember those little like pixies, what were they like little pixie sticks with like the sugar yeah. in them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they'd sell those for like three, $4 filled with honey. So I don't know, probably less. Yeah, less, less see, here, here's what, here's what gets lost in the entire discussion because everybody, all three of us have been in a gas station, right? And what is the number one item they put up close to the counter right now because it's what people are buying left and right? We're in the protein craze, and you can put jerky in a bag, and it's got shelf life forever. So we have a pork jerky. It is phenomenal. It's like crack cocaine. You, you bite one. Hey, I just happen to have a little package right here. All right, here's a package right here. This is a three-ounce package of pork jerky, three ounces, and we sell them ourselves for $5. That's a lot of money for three ounces. Except, you know, it takes $4.75 to get them to package and put this label on it for me. I sure do. It does. It just simply, the, the costs are not in line with no. what you're able to achieve. Now, you could sell this maybe for $7, so then I get a $2. That doesn't count, by the way, the cost of the pig that's inside the package. That's okay. just the packaging. So all of these costs, it looks like that people are just making a lot of money selling pork jerky for $7 for two ounces. No. It's not as good as it looks. We jumped into the lamb stick market last year, last right before Christmas. The cost to produce the lamb sticks, right. ridiculous. And it was not a flavor that we had any input into putting the seasonings in. And I mean, it was a learning experience, the whole thing. But when it comes down to it, it is not a product that's going to make us a lot of money because of the cost yeah. to actually make it. And you know what I'm reminded of? There's an image. I don't know who put it out there that, you know, is the dollar bill and it demonstrates the portion that the farmer receives, you know, for every dollar spent and the portion mm. that the farmers actually receive. Mm. I want to pull this back to, because again, as somebody so the new to agriculture, and I still say this, even though I engaged in question three in Massachusetts on cage-free eggs like four years ago now. Um, but I'm, of course, still learning. I'm, I'm not a farmer. I'm not and don't claim to be, you know, an agriculture expert, but definitely understanding some more of the challenges. Right. So if there's this confusion between, well, who's big ag, right, that there's this big ag, you know, 
big bad ag, right? Who's that? Is there is there a difference, right, between the perception of big ag, the farmer who I think we know people trust, right? They're definitely high on the list of when you talk to people, you know, do you trust farmers? Well, yeah, absolutely, right? We trust that they're taking care of their livestock. Otherwise, they, you know, they wouldn't be making a profit, that they're good stewards of the environment when you actually look at the facts and how farmers have been taking care of the environment. So, and and, and again, just like with low-income people and you have some people who want to control the narrative about us, you have these animal rights groups who want to control the narrative about farmers. And more and more farmers are taking back that narrative, just as folks like myself, low-income people, are taking back that narrative. So how do we then um, almost sort of get through the fog, right? Mm-hmm. And, and again, continue to make these connections and really educate each other. And I think, and Ed also pointed out, feeling that, you know, the powers that be, of course they want division between us, right? Because they have opponents who run against them and they need platforms to, to run against yeah. them. Can we please take a moment, get all that cloud out of our eyes and really look and, and, and acknowledge that sometimes we're fed information so that we can then have a reaction or have a thought or form an opinion that may not be based in fact, but based in the idea that somebody else wants us thinking this way because eventually it helps them to maintain their power. So the more that we can make these connections and broaden this conversation, um, you know, I know of so many others who might want to come in and, you know, and join this conversation, but I want to make sure this is a safe environment for them. You know, people can laugh at safe spaces all that they want, um, but it's really a way that you, so what I do when I'm pretty special at doing my skill set is sort of coming into a room and talking about the power dynamics that exist, right? Like if I were to bring somebody on this show and say, hey, you know, I would talk to my friend and about her experience. Um, I get concerned that if, you know, if the, she hears something that makes her feel a certain way, I'm being judged a certain way. How does that change the conversation? How does that change the dynamic of the conversation? It changes everything. Quite frankly, right. it's why why I personally for 18 years have attempted to have this connection between rural and urban America and struggled in getting it done because it's tough for somebody to come on like you, Diane, without feeling like we're just throwing stones at you. And yet we're trying to just precipitate constructive dialogue. Yeah. But but you're spot on. And I've been doing this for a long time. You know, I've, I've taken. Well, you like stones being thrown at you though. That's the deal about you. (laughs) I, you know what? I'm a tough chick. Yeah, um, you are a tough chick. That's why I like you so much. But I like you into the next segment because we've already reached <laughs> that point in time when I remind you to watch the stand at Paxton County. It brings to light the challenge that the animal rights folks put upon animal owners. And uh, it's on Netflix. It's going to be there for a while, but it's getting dark earlier. So you probably need something to do for an hour and 42 minutes one evening. The stand at Paxton County on Netflix. I need to get back to talking to my cohorts and making that. We'll start promoting that again. We'll be back with the last segment of a raw route right after this. Why don't we get Stacy on with us? Welcome back to Roll Route. Trent Lewis alongside Jimmy Schweiger. Uh, Diane Sullivan. 
I'm trying to multitask. See, you two women think men can't multitask. I'm multitasking. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say. I'm reading, reading Brian's comments and trying to remember, you know, some, what I was supposed to do before I started. Uh, so, Diane, you know what? You brought up something that I think is huge and nobody's ever talked about until you mentioned it. I never really thought about it. So I'm going to put it into today's terms. We're going to go into the ballot box. Is it November 3rd, maybe? Whatever voting day is. And we're going to all have this spot, right? The curtain closes. You go in there and you're going to mark in your circles. Nobody can watch you do that. We're going to put it in an envelope. Then we're going to take it over to machine and put it over here. Unless you vote Democrat, then they'll put it in there twice. But that's beside the point. Uh, nobody can do that. How would, let me restate, restate that. How would shopping for groceries be different if nobody was watching what you bought? I think you're spot that's, on, Diane. I think that's huge. I think it would be totally different. But I didn't realize, but I'm not, like, this is new to me. I didn't realize people are, maybe I'm just so focused on making sure I stay on task. I don't notice the food shaming. Yeah. But um, you're not the first person that mentioned it. Um, can you give, like, an example of when that has happened to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, there have been, I mean, stories where literally people, well, there's kind of two sides to this, right? There's there's the shaming involved with just using a snap card, right? The how dare you buy a steak? I can't afford that for my family. That's my tax dollars. And, um, you, and there have been instances where people have literally followed others out of the grocery store and somebody has thrown out after they've paid with their snap benefits for their groceries, yeah. have thrown out the receipt. And people have gone into the garbage to take the receipt out to look at what had been purchased, how much was spent, what their balance on their um, for their SNAP benefits was. So there's that type of shaming, right? That that's kind of not uncommon to uh, people who access different types of government programs that help to subsidize their wages um, or otherwise um, income, or if they have no income. Um, and then there's the shaming that happens, and and I want to say this is kind of um, like the a lot in mom shaming. Um, and I, and again, I think a lot of this is based around um, the lack of education. Um, and the food companies we know, uh, so, you know, those in the middle um, that are packaging and labeling and selling, uh, marketing the food, they know um, that we're sensitive to um, not only how we react to these labels, right? But then what's the trend? And I got to follow the trend. And if I don't follow the trend, then I'm not doing right by my children um, or I'm not, you know, I don't care enough about my children. And that in and of itself is a problem. But how that translates in the hunger landscape is that you will have, um, you know, a mom go in and there are studies that demonstrate this. Uh, low income parents will go in and they'll see these various labels. And again, thinking that the label means it's more nutritious for their child. And they'll say, well, if that's more nutritious then this item here, the conventional alternative that I can actually afford, must be bad for my child. So you know what I'm going to do? Skip over that purchase entirely because I don't want to hurt my children. And so, you know, again, you have marketing. It's, you know, it's it's we're a capitalist society. You know, you, you, you know, just like with housing, it's what the market will bear. Although if it's what the market will bear, we wouldn't need subsidized programs to help people pay that, right? Um, and so... That type of manipulation, um, nobody's really having the conversation about the impact that that has 
on hunger here in America and why when we have the most abundant food system, the most efficient food system and the cheapest food in the world, it's still an everyday struggle for people to feed themselves. We have the most affordable food, not the cheapest food. I'm sorry. Yes, absolutely. And uh, uh, Brian brings up a great point. It would be really, really interesting to see how buying habits of food have changed in 2020 simply because there's been less food shaming because people are buying it online. People are ordering it and picking it up curbside at the grocery store. So have food purchases changed as a result of people not watching what's in your cart? Well, particularly for SNAP recipients, um, being able to purchase online is very new. Um, So they were only, you know, going into the coronavirus, uh, there were only a couple of pilot programs with a couple of states. Um, I think the USDA has done a, you know, a good job in trying to move more states and and, um, get them, you know, particularly when you think about um, seniors who are, you know, susceptible to this virus, you don't want them in the grocery stores. Um, But here in Massachusetts, the only two, uh, you know, corporations that places I could go shop are Walmart and Amazon. Um, So, and again, this is like a really a corporate cash grab for these two companies when I'd like to see more farmers be able to get into that market and access, um, you know, snap dollars that are being spent. So, you know, perhaps more online shopping. Um, but, you know, then you have to think about how the companies are advertising online, um, you know, and the algorithms and the, you know, and the products that they lift to the top. Um, even when shopping with my snap benefits online, I did do one um, Amazon order just to test it. Um, and I searched for a gallon of milk and the first thing that came up, uh, was for $6. I'm not going to spend $6 for a gallon of milk, but, um, you know, that's what came up. So, you know, could that get at some of the shaming, you know, going more online perhaps? Um, but you don't take a problem and then just shove it in the closet, right? Um, uh, because yeah. we still have the issue of right. the affordability and the manipulation, um, that's happening. 80 million. Sorry, Jenny. 80 million families receive snap benefits is it that high i don't know uh, that's according to usda with the july 2000 uh, 2020 wow. report yeah going so, into corona we were under 40 million and we're i mean we're accepting snap currently indirectly because if the kids buy a school lunch that is automatically covered it doesn't matter who you are we don't have to because you're considered to be subsidized is that what you're saying um, I would have to look into the program. It's just something new that has started in the last couple of weeks, and I think it's state specific. Yeah, well, see, there's an incentivized uh, uh, reason for schools to want you to be low income food assisted programs because the school gets a bigger chunk of money from the USDA if they have low income families in their school system. So they really? will they will okay. find a way to get your kid a free lunch because they actually get paid more than if you pay for it yourself. So that ties yeah, into I, the census question because is all of that based on census? No, access to free school meals um, is either you trigger eligibility because you are a SNAP recipient or otherwise uh, your income, I believe, is below perhaps 200% of the poverty level. I could be wrong, um, but it's an application process. And in fact, Trent, a lot of schools, I don't think, do a good enough job um, getting applications or in, in receiving applications from families who are eligible. Because you have a lot of families, you know, who are working. Mm-hmm. And again, I think this, this, this comes back to the shame. Um, you know, families who are saying, I'm not that family who needs that support. I'll get by somehow. 
Um, and, you know, and, and I'm not shaming them for that. Um, but I think if we just acknowledge that, you know, listen, the, it's expensive to live here in America, um, particularly in certain pockets of the country. And that's, you know, that's clearly demonstrated just by, you know, cost of living. Um, it's okay that, you know, whether you're working a full-time job, you're disabled and you cannot work, it's okay to say, hey, I need help. Um, and if your income qualifies your children for free school lunch, why not? Because I know there have been times when I've been eligible, but I haven't accessed the program. And maybe my children couldn't put a sandwich, my, a sandwich before they went to school, or I didn't have a couple of dollars to give them that morning and they missed out. I'd rather have them have that security. Um, yeah. And honestly, I'd rather have people be able to walk into that situation, not feeling shamed of, of, of how they present. Diane, I, I really want to get to this question from James, because I think it's a very good one. Does, Diane, does that mean that there's a predatory concept behind stores that have access to EBT cards and are targeting those 80 million people that are utilizing SNAP benefits? Yep. You know, and hi, Jimmy. Uh, James is my friend from back here in Boston. And I just have to say, uh, James does his uh, Java with Jimmy in the morning. And I jump back between Trenton and, and James most morning. Oh, now I got to compete with James. <laughs> Never mind that question. James, get off of here. <laughs> um, but, and again, just to show sort of the diversity in my head, uh, you know, Jimmy's an amazing advocate uh, in Boston. Um, and Trent, my, you know, sixth generation farmer friend from Nebraska. Right. So well, when's Jimmy going to join Jimmy, us? I want Jimmy on here. Hey, I, I love it again, but yeah. that relationship, uh, but, I'm happy. To he, he's, he's kind of alluding to something that I feel is the biggest issue in food in 2020. You look in at rural America, especially everywhere Every, in, like in, five in miles. that we have really put the stymie on small ma and pa, small business grocery stores. And we have taken the three biggest food distributors in the grocery store business to a whole new level. We got a guy in Texas that's achieved now the wealthiest status in the world thanks to buying stuff and delivering it to their home. We continue to shut down small businesses. Meanwhile, the Costco's and the Walmarts and the Targets just continue to flourish and expand. You can't tell me that there isn't some level of an agenda behind making that happen because, oh, by the way, they also happen to be the three main contributors to one of the presidential candidates. But look at Dollar General. Well, yeah, I don't know that you have that in urban areas. Oh, yeah. We have it everywhere. Every in, little in town. In rural areas. And it is totally based on marketing via SNAP. And it, absolutely. There's no fresh produce, no fresh steak, things like that. Yep. So and that is huge. Part of, to, to, to become a qualified retailer, you have to demonstrate. One minute, One minute Diane. Okay. okay. And you have to show that you can carry certain um, you know, products on the shelf, right? Fresh fruits and vegetables and right. so on and so forth. And, you know, part to, and, and to Jimmy's point, again, just, just this corporate cash brag, a cash grab. And, you know, these bodegas on, on the, you know, on the corners of, on the blocks in the hood, um, can't maintain. They may not have the storage to, to, to hold the products that Snap would require them to, right? So I just feel like, again, making these connections, learning from each other. What are the challenges in the cities that we face in feeding ourselves? What are the challenges that farmers face in feeding us? Um, yes to, uh, I think it might've been Brian or Ed 
Um, thank you to the farmers, um, you know, in the flyover, uh, flyover states. I know that we don't think about it often enough because when we think about uh, food, we think about grocery stores. I was Craig Neal. Um, uh, he's in Montana. Okay, thank you. Um, one final thing. What's a bodega? A corner store in the hood. Huh. Where you, can, you know, a little convenience store. And you can sometimes go in and, you know, buy an avocado, um, pick up a bag of onions. But you're more likely to find cupcakes and you know, Doritos and, you know, processed food. Um, if we need to support these, these local, again, these mom and pop, these, these are the mom and pop shops in, in urban settings. That'll do it. We have successfully journeyed down the road, connecting rural and urban America. As always, a very dear thank you to Diane Sullivan, Jenny Swagger. Yes. All three of us remind you, you that all roads do lead to a roll route. See you tomorrow, Red Shirt Friday.